Hello and welcome to the midweek edition of the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I'm Joel A. Erickson. I'm joined as always by Nate Atkins. Uh, the surprising Colts at 2-1 and one, leading the AFC South. Um, all the games count. And like it's not like bad that they're leading the AFC South. It's just kind of a weird thing to talk about at this point. Is that fair? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I don't think anybody like if you were to extrapolate the standings out, I don't think anyone believes that the Jaguars are going to lose twice as many games as they win. So it's just early in the season. Yeah, it's it's almost not even about like what I think is going to happen. It's just like the early in the season part. Like we're talking about a difference of one loss and one win. You know, it's we'll see. But they are leading the AFC South. And, yeah. and I, I will say this. I, I absolutely understand um, the sort of euphoria uh, or or the, the sort of glee that I'm hearing from Colts fans because I don't think anybody expected them to be this competitive this fast, if, if that makes sense. That's the thing. The alternative could be that we're three weeks in and saying this doesn't feel like it's going to work. Like that was a possibility based on just – Oh, I wouldn't say that three weeks in. Hedging, hedging wet blanket Joel would never say that three weeks ago. <laughs> okay. That's, I, a, that's a man-to-man blitz. That's not a cover two. Uh, all right. If they looked like they did last year, I would have gone I would have gone man-to-man blitz because um, there was a world where they could have continued what they were last year. Instead, I think they're showing the very least that they're not what they were last year. So, like, that's my takeaway so far is that they're, they're improved. They're a real team. They have – I think they have real upside based on if they can get certain guys on the field and continue building this thing. And you show that by winning in Baltimore, I think, is, is the type of game they would not have won last year. Um, I mean, they beat the Chiefs last year at home. That was fun. But uh, kind of winning two games in a row, I they're starting to build something nice. You just you got to see it continue to build out. And there's just a lot of ifs that are out there as far as who they can keep on the field, who they can get back on the field, I think is actually the bigger question. That's sort of the storyline this week. But uh, absolutely, you should be excited, though. I mean, last year was kind of hard for everybody because it, it was like the opposite. It had the expectations coming into the year, and then it started so poorly. Uh, you know, two weeks in, they got shut out in Jacksonville and didn't have a win. And so uh, this is the reverse where there weren't that many expectations coming in. And so far, 2-1 and one leading the AFC South and – uh, I think there's some uh, some real upside on this team right now. I Expectations are one of the hardest things for me to reconcile in like covering and watching sports because it's, it's inevitable that they end up driving the way we evaluate and look at teams. Um, and ultimately, like every year, expectations go horribly wrong. In, or 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 we or we are horribly wrong about like like we as in like the you know national football people fans that kind of thing like inevitably we end up being wrong about our expectations for a team or not seeing things the way we should have um, like for instance like I've I've thought a lot of this off season about like I probably should have changed my expectations for the Colts and and been more skeptical of them last year. Um, even though I again, I don't I don't think it was like a huge mistake since everyone in the world was saying that they were going to win the AFC South, 
but like there were things that we could have looked at at more but i guess what i'm saying is it's it's hard for me to reconcile expectation i think in a in a perfect world i would love to be able to just go into a season and take it for what it is and evaluate it as it goes without anything else but it's just not how sports work mm-hmm. um and and so like i don't know i we're starting out off the uh we're starting off the uh, podcast here with some big picture sports existential questions but like it's it's hard for me sometimes like in terms of um of what the expectations were because it does change so it changes so significantly what you think of what a team is or is not doing in terms of um two and one is good like it, it it's a good record no matter what but there's a there's a world where you, the Colts are two and one and fans are furious that their yards per passing attempt are 5.8 um you know and and so that's that's one of those things where it's it's hard for me to hold it in balance because how much do you just take the okay we weren't expecting this of it and how much do you look at okay they need to fix this um i think obviously with this colts team because it's a first year with a new coach first year with a rookie quarterback you don't place like or you shouldn't place like a uh well, they're two and one, so I, if they don't win the division this year, I'm going to be furious. That shouldn't be part of your thinking. Um, but yeah. but there's a lot of it that's like, to me, is like it's hard to, to hold in balance how you're looking at a team. Because like I said, there's there are other teams that could be two and one. I think the Ravens are probably a good example. The Ravens are two and one. I think their fans are furious. Well, yeah, I think it it's hard to keep in balance your expectations versus how they're performing and – adjusting to what you see versus what you thought you'd see what I try and do is hold them to their own expectations of what the franchise is trying to do and because that sends the message to everyone in the locker room of what this year's supposed to be so a year ago I think the Colts told us they thought they were pretty close when they traded a third round pick for a 37 year old quarterback and Matt Ryan they traded a starting corner to get Yannick Ngakwe and then they signed Stefan Gilmore the type of signing that people want Chris Bowden to do more of, did it last year because they thought they were close. This year, you saw them go with the rookie quarterback, uh, just trend incredibly young, and you know they trade away Stephon Gilmore. They didn't sign a corner. They lost Isaiah Rodgers. They didn't sign a corner. And then they've just come out and flat out said it pretty much, where Chris Ballard said, we're not re-signing players right now because we won four games last year. You know, like – Jim Mercy said, we have to, we have guys this team that have to prove that they can play again. You know, that's so, I'm more going by the expectations that the franchise has set. Because I think what that ends up doing is. That's a good way to think about it. I think that is sort of coloring the tone of the players. Because the players will, you know, there will be moments where they, they throw some stuff back at us. You know, predictions we have wrong and whatnot. But I think, really, I think their temperament is tied much to the message they got about what this year's supposed to be, the pressure, internal pressure they feel. So last year they were very upset, very on edge, uh, making a lot of rash decisions in the first half of the year because it was supposed to be good and it wasn't. This year it feels like a, so far, a pretty happy-go-lucky locker room because the, that same pressure wasn't there. It was more supposed to be an evaluation year, but they're out here winning games, taking down teams like the Ravens, winning on the road in a tough environment, like they're doing some legit things that the franchise, you know, didn't 
yet believe based on their moves and their comments that they were capable of until they proved it. And it's early, it's three games in, but they're, they're starting to prove that. And I think they're starting to feel that confidence too. Um, I think, I think one of the things that I'm thinking about as, as you look at this two and one start is if you look at the schedule, if you look at the Colts schedule, and this has been true since the very beginning, it's, it is gettable. Like they're, they, these are not, it's not like it's a, a star-studded AFC West heavy, although that's probably not – with the way the Broncos and Raiders are playing, that's probably not a very good example right now. Um, yeah. well, what's, the, what's the superstar division this year? AFC North, maybe. They are playing the AFC North. AFC East was supposed to be, but it's kind of two teams. Um, so they don't have – it doesn't feel like – it's not a loaded slate by any means – um, there the, it is gettable. I do think that there are probably some reasons for caution on on super high expectations right now uh, in terms of what they're going to do wins and losses. I think there's been a lot of good. I want to start off by saying that like I think Anthony Richardson has looked much better than than we than most people expected. Um, I think the defensive line deserves a ton of credit for the way they're playing, and and that's going to keep them in games if they continue to play that way. But there are some things that I think are are reasons for concern in terms of if you're getting really excited about the idea of competing, contending for the division. Number one, at some point, this passing game has to average more than six yards per attempt, uh, and preferably push that a lot higher than that. Um, you know, seven and a half is what I've always heard as as sort of a, a benchmark for being good. They are so far below that right now, and I think that eventually, like the, the Ravens game is a good example, where like the the Colts offense just did not do a lot down the stretch there and really didn't do a ton in overtime. It was essentially one fourth down decision and a 13-yard carry by Zach Moss. I guess you could probably give some credit to the Michael Pittman Jr. 34-yard catch for getting them out there. But they didn't do much in the second half in part because the passing game just has not moved the ball well. And I think that that's, that's something that in terms of like if you're looking at this team as as maybe more of a contender than we thought, like that's got to get fixed. It has to be better than 5.8 or 5.9. Yeah, I think the number one thing that they have to add, and, and once they do, that's when I'll start really changing on them, is explosive plays. So, so far they have one play, I believe, of 40 yards on offense, and that is – a Will Mallory catch on a busted coverage. Like teams will get that, you know, once every three games, but you have to generate your own explosive plays sometimes. And that's, that's the thing that's missing right now. Um, as far as, you know, they're not, they haven't been able to dial up shots to Alec Pierce. Haven't tried that many have been, been willing to risk that they're playing pretty risk averse with either a rookie quarterback or a, a backup quarterback in there. Uh, need some explosiveness in the run game as well that's not like for as much you know Zach Moss played a heroic effort with 30 carries but that's not his style of game he's going to grind out yards Um, but I will say that is where I think they have upside on this team is that if they can get and keep Anthony Richardson on the field add that quarterback who can run a 4-4-3-40 and if in a couple weeks they can get Jonathan Taylor back there's still a world where they can have that backfield. Um, the way that those two playing off each other could create explosive plays. And then 
maybe invite safeties into the box to then attempt more of those down-the-field passes, play action to Alec Pierce, uh, or just the occasional, you know, let, let Michael Pittman go and make a play. Um, Reggie Wayne was joking today about Michael Pittman's route depth is not where he wants it to be. That's kind of the next step for him is get beyond kind of a being an underneath guy. But we saw Pitt go up and make that 34-yard catch, and he used to do that. You know, couple, when I first got on the beat the year with Carson Wentz, he did a lot of those on broken plays. So that can be sort of a maybe like a less expected but you know possible trick in their bag. But that's got to that's got to work in unison with explosive plays to occasionally Alec Pierce, uh, Anthony Richardson, possibly Jonathan Taylor, and then maybe they get Jelani Woods back in a couple weeks. Like they need those explosive players out there. The version we saw of them in Baltimore just didn't have much of that. I think Pierce is really the only speed player you'd say they have down the field speed player and that just their passing game is not nearly developed enough to tap into that but I like I said I think there are guys on this roster that they could get back within the next two weeks or so that would change this conversation and that is where the schedule gets really interesting is that you look at it and there's just not many games that that you think that if they're playing like they've played the last two weeks that they can't win uh, there's going to be a couple of challenges, certainly going, you know, facing a Bill Belichick team overseas. That's not going to be very easy. Uh, I think the way that the Browns are playing defense, that game in a few weeks is going to be pretty hard. Um, we see what happens when they go to Jacksonville every year. Uh, but for the most part, there's a lot of games on this schedule that, I mean, if you can go into Baltimore and win, that was supposed to be one of the toughest out there. That was the one I thought coming into the year would just be too much too early for them, and they found a way to win. So there is a world where they can add the things that I haven't seen yet. Uh, that's just on offense. Then defense, I think the concern I have there is is the coverage still. While they played a nice game in Baltimore, I think there's still a lot of reasons to worry about some of the cornerback play. Nate, uh I have no notes uh, that Nate's reading, but he, he went to the next spot I was going to go uh, in terms of reasons for concern. So I talked to Ron Milas today, uh, Colts defensive backs coach Ron Milas, and I was asking him about the defensive line, and sort of his answer about this should be an indicator for you for you guys on where, what they feel about the way the secondary is playing right now. He, he said those guys are really playing well um, up front. We see what they're doing, and we need to we need to take our level up a notch or two notches to to get to theirs because then we might have a chance to have something really special. So it, that's that's the defensive backs coach of the Colts saying that. Like I don't think they feel like they've covered very well yet. Um, I don't think that they feel like they've gotten enough ball production in terms of turnovers yet from from the back end. And and I think that ultimately, like at some point, I mean, so the pass rush is playing very well and can erase a lot of that. But, you know, sometimes if you're really struggling on the back end, the pass rush is going to have bad days because people are open. People with better receiving cores than Baltimore has uh, are going to be able to exploit that in a way that, that Baltimore wasn't able to exploit it. So that's that's the other big reason for concern. I think, I think and this is, not, again, this is not me talking. This is uh, the Colts coaching staff talking. They feel like the front seven – or six, depending on however you want to do this. I think it's really front seven and, f- and back five. Like, I know that doesn't make sense in terms of numbers, but in terms of snaps, the way EJ Speed's playing 30-something-ish snaps, that's really the way to look at it. Mm-hmm. The the front seven is playing really well. 
the back five is not at that level yet. And um, you're asking a lot of a, a front to be a, a really good defense when they have to make up for their back five every every game, which it, it's a young it's a young secondary. They will likely improve as the season goes on. Juju Brents obviously just made his first start, um, but also you can't rule out the possibility that 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 those issues in coverage cost them a game or two at some point. That'll be an interesting challenge this week. Is that uh, they are going to face they're going to face the best I think the best passing game since week one, and even possibly better than week one. The Jaguars had a nice game there, but have been off this season. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes this week against the Rams because I think Matthew Stafford will really challenge them, his ability to throw outside the numbers down the field. I mean, C.J. Stroud really got them in that part of the field, and Stafford's better at it. And I think guys like Tutu Atwell, Puka Nakua, uh, those guys out wide are going to be more of a challenge than they faced since maybe week one when they went up against Calvin Ridley. Of course, the flip side of that is that the Rams have a lot of pass protection issues. So this will kind of be the test of whether the Colts model of uh, pass rush overcoming the secondary can work. But looking long term with the defense, that's where you're trying to read like three games in what you think is uh, like what they've accomplished so far. It's two different conversations. What they've accomplished so far counts and they don't have to apologize for any of it. but as far as what I think is going to stick can be a little different. The one thing I bank on with this defense, they're going to dominate against the run. I just – I think – Yeah, I mean, just the – I mean, before we even get to the linebackers who are playing really well, you have Grover Stewart, who might be the league's best nose tackle. You have DeForest Buckner, who's, a, who's unbelievable against the run. And then you have two good defensive ends against the yeah. run. Yeah, that's why I think changed a lot of it is you sub out Yannick Ngakwe for Samson Ebukam – and you let Quiddy Pay stay on the field as long as Quiddy Pay stays healthy, like that. They're just phenomenal, those four. And then, and then and, you add in, and then you add in Zaire Franklin and Shaq Leonard and and EJ Speed. EJ Speed's EJ's been great through the jump. first through the first couple of weeks. So yeah, I I think that's true. They're 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 going to be very good against the so, run. Yeah. So I bank on that. I think that's going to happen. Even to the point where they could lose a guy or two. Like if Tyquan Lewis has to step in, um, like I said, if EJ Speed has to play Tyler more Dango snaps, plays. Yeah. Like they've got. I just think they're really set for that. What I wonder about is obviously the coverage, as you touched on, just very young, and I just don't think they've proven that yet. Uh, but I still I, – I, the pass rush has definitely improved. This is the point I made on Sunday. Pass rush has definitely improved. I buy that it's better. I'm still waiting to see if it's special because I need to see them against a first-team left tackle. It's amazing the way that this season has gone. Where the first, They were supposed to play to start the year. Cam Robinson – and then Laramie Tunsil, and then Ronnie Stanley, which is three great tests. Instead, they've gotten three backups. And at that position especially, left tackle, the most important on the line, that just changes a lot. So, I mean, certain guys you know. You know DeForest Buckner is great, but we know he's going to get double teamed. So it's about, you know, Quiddy Payne and Samson Ebicom. I think they've shown enough in their careers already and this year to believe that they can – you know they they're starters and they can, they're guys who can affect the quarterback. Do they have that number one edge rusher who on third and eight can wreck something against their first team left tackle? That's what I got to wait and see a little bit on. But again, this is an area where they have they do have the upside because they have done it so far. Quiddy Pay is a first round pick. 
Um, Samson Ebicom, it's just I'm very interested to see. This is his first chance on a team in that role. You know, he played opposite Nick Bosa last year, which is very different job because teams just have to gear everything against Nick Bosa. Now, at some point, Samson's going to see more of that attention, uh, which he is seeing, but he'll see it with a first-team left tackle. That's where that's where we got to see a little bit more. And then it's, I'm, I'm waiting to see what you know what the return of Shaquille Leonard fully looks like. You know, it's great that he's back on the field. Obviously, it's it's turning out pretty well in terms of you know how they're stopping the run. But I haven't seen those splash plays yet, and that's what I thought was for them to be a really special defense, him getting back to the guy who used to force those turnovers because that's part of what we were saying about the secondary is not doing it so far. Um, if they're not going to do it as much because they're younger, someone's got to make up for that. So pass rush could be part of it. Shaq Leonard could be part of it. I need just a few more impact plays on defense would help. The, the first time that the Colts might see like a, an actual true – um, I think not necessarily starting left tackle, but in terms of like starting caliber, if that makes sense. Because there are mm-hmm. some starting left tackles in the NFL who are either trying to prove themselves or not. Maybe when they go to Jacksonville. Cam Robinson was suspended yeah. for four games. That's that's a six game, so he should be back. Uh, but the the Rams have issues right now. Alar Jackson, they're not sure if he's going to play or not on Sunday. And then next week, it's the Titans and Andre Dillard. And I, I will admit, I've not seen anything of the Titans yet. Andre Dillard might be playing uh, to his well, first Well, Andre round, Dillard had a very rough game on Sunday. There we go. He also went up against Miles Garrett, so take that for what you will. But, yeah, I, I think that's a you know, a so, so it, it might be – it might be – this is the schedule thing again. It, and then the they, next they might be six Cedric weeks Wills. in before Samson Evacom has to play against an established – there you go. That's the word I'm looking for, an established left tackle – um, I wouldn't even call Cam Robinson like a top tier one, but he's a, he is established as a starting mm-hmm. left tackle in the league. He's an established left tackle in the league. So, well, it, they'll face one week six against the Browns, Jedrick Wills. But again, is not the, a, are the, is that week six? I think uh, it shows you how week to week we are. I think I think it's isn't it Rams this week, Titans then Jaguars, then Cleveland it's Rams Titans. This is great podcasting. <laughs> um, let me look up the, here. Jedrick Wills is definitely a true left tackle. Yes, you're right. I flipped him. Browns is the next week. Uh, but that's to your point, too. That's not – After that, they face the Saints who have line issues. Yeah. The, the Saints' best lineman plays again on the right side. It'll be a long time till they face a truly, like, franchise left tackle. That's what's kind of interesting, which is not their fault. Like, that happens. That's nothing. Like, if if Samson keeps delivering against guys like Jedrick Wills and Cam Robinson, like, give him his, you know, give him his due. My issue so far, it's all been backups. And, like, line depth in this league is so bad. So, I just have to see a little bit more than a backup left tackle against him. But, you know, it's he'll have that opportunity, and, and we will see. The thing is, it's just like – I. It's putting a lot on a guy, but the Colts are putting a lot on him because of how young the cornerbacks are. And, uh, you know, like I was very happy to see Juju Brents on Sunday make an impact, punch at the ball, be physical. I think he's going to bring that this week in a way that helps them because if you watch the Rams against the Bengals, uh, Puka Nakua has just – he's been lighting the world on fire as a rookie at a BYU this season. But the Bengals were able to kind of hold him in check outside of one big catch – 
because they pressed him at the line. That was sort of the thing he hadn't faced. Well, that's going to be Juju Brents's game is pressing at the line. What's interesting though is, of course, the the sort of uh, you know it's a it's a it's the opposite approach of how they were playing with Daryl Baker, which is just don't get beat deep. Uh, but you know, there's risk of if the press doesn't work, he gets loose, and they're playing single high safety. Um, so it just we're, we're going to learn a lot about these corners, I think, the next few weeks because while we can say the like the left tackle matchups are they're not really set up to maybe get great answers there, they will start to get them at cornerback because you've got Naku and Atwell this week, which is pretty good. Um, you've got DeAndre Hopkins coming up. Uh, he he's looking a little bit more like himself, maybe not peak form, but pretty good. Uh, and then. You know Calvin Ridley and Amari Cooper the next couple weeks, and then Chris Olave. So we are going to learn a lot about uh, where these cornerbacks are, and I guess how close or how far away they are to being trustworthy. Because that's that's my biggest takeaway from kind of what you were sharing from Ron Miles is he's still waiting to see if can you really trust him. We know that that's been their dilemma because Juju was a healthy scratch for two weeks. It tells you that they didn't trust him until. This week they, you know, and I don't know how much that was him, them trusting him versus them reacting to Daryl Baker's struggles in Houston. This is the stuff that we're going to learn as the season goes on. Yeah, and a lot of Juju's game on Sunday was the sort of like physical play, um, you know, obviously the chop, that kind of thing. It it was the coverage to some extent, but that, that wasn't the stuff that, that Ron was talking about today. Um, and mm-hmm. so, again, the, the – the schedule is such an interesting part of this because, you know, what if what if by the time you end up getting to the end of this thing that they've played, like, five established left tackles and 12 <laughs> guys who are something less than that? Yeah. I mean, you, and you can Then only your concern is more of, like, a what are they going to do in a playoffs concern than it is, like, a regular season concern. Yeah. I, I'm realizing this literally as we're doing this podcast, like – just how much and how far this could extend given some of the opponents on their roster. Like one of the like I know for a fact, like the Saints, one of the things with the Saints right now, their offensive line has been absolutely terrible. Got Derek Carr injured last week. And I think the Saints are like this that if Derek Carr's available, that's the sort of team that I would expect to be able to exploit the secondary given like the pre- presence of Chris Olave and Michael Thomas and Rashid Shahid who's incredibly fast. But they have not been that good on offense yet because they can't protect their quarterback, which is – that's the Colts' whole defensive formula right now. Um, it's it That's very interesting – it's a very interesting thing to me when you start looking at the schedule as, as we're doing this right now. There's a lot of teams like that. There's Steelers a lot of teams offensive like line is a problem. Titans' offensive line has been a disaster so far. Uh, yeah, like in terms of the entire schedule, the only ones on there right now that I'd say are like – a, like offensive lines tier, playing well. Top tier left tackle would be Jake Matthews of the Falcons, and I would assume Laramie Tunsil's back for the second matchup. That may be it, like, and that's late in the season. Wow! So, because <laughs> Cam Robinson's solid, I wouldn't say he's a star. Uh, it, it in that yeah. in that event, then the chances of the defensive line sort of lifting the secondary along with them and turning this into a really good defense are much better if they're if they're not playing against teams that have a real shot at neutralizing them yeah and to show you the flip side of this like (laughs) it's just so random how the positions go because look at a guy like like bernard ryman i think is playing really really well he's going to get some massive tests because 
coming up here, um, you know, they'll play Aaron Donald outside sometimes. So he'll get to Garrett deal with for that. Sure. Miles Garrett, Garrett for sure. It's going to be super fun. Uh, Josh Allen, he's gone against, so we know what that is. The Saints' defensive line is really good. The Saints' defense is just in general yep. is really good. I don't. It you doesn't, got, even, it doesn't right. really matter it's, exactly. It's who kind it of is. a whole the group really there. Yeah. You've got um, you've got Brian Burns of the Panthers. You've got um, Shaq Barrett of the Buccaneers. Uh, you've got what? Titans have a couple guys. Harold Landry. You've got Trey Hendrickson. You've got T.J. Watt. Um, <laughs> you've got T.J. Typically uh, rushes off the left side, but I see what you're saying. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. It may, it may go that way. They'll have Will Anderson again, and then they'll have um, the Raiders have two guys if they're there by then. Chandler Jones and Raiders have one. Guy. Um, and Max Crosby. <laughs> right now, the Raiders have one yes, guy. one guy right now. But Max Crosby. That's uh, that's yeah. Tough. The the edge guys. The the te- both tackles both because um, some uh, like Crosby I think is another left side guy. Mm-hmm. But it, the other thing about this is like that's interesting to me is it, they, the way this changes year in and year out. Like one of the I remember one of the storylines the first year like Rick Quiddy Pay's rookie year was they had him lined up on the right side, which it turns out was a mistake. He prefers the left side anyway. Um, but they had him lined up on the on the on the right side. The first two tackles that he faced were Andrew Whitworth. And Walter Jones. <laughs> it was like I think that it was like an insane stat. It was like like the first two I think was like 260 plus starts in the NFL, or something crazy was the first two the first two teams, uh, first two guys that he faced off against. And uh, now you look at like this run of backup left tackles that they're on. It's just weird how that works out sometimes, and the schedule can change as it goes along. You know, like. I think if you if you look at the Colts coming into this season, you would have looked at the left tackle as a as maybe a gettable one. And now three weeks in, Bernard Ryman doesn't looks like more much more of a formidable opponent than he had based on his based on what he did previously. Yeah. Just looking around the league, I know that a lot of us around here said it's very obvious that he could make a jump. But as a as a team around the league, you have to be thinking like you have to go based on what their tape says. And the tape says that Bernard Ryman's a different player than he was last year. So. It's it's interesting to see how the schedule changes, but that yeah, like that's the thing is you start looking at for this defensive line that's playing well, like they're not there there aren't a lot of super established offensive lines on this schedule. No, there's really not. I mean, there's like solid overall groups: Browns, Panthers, maybe uh, Buccaneers, Patriots. Based on what I've seen, Carolina's not playing maybe that well. Up Carolina so was supposed to. Maybe they're they're not. They're obviously they're all in three, so they're not really delivering. They're not going to face a dominant offensive line, though, I don't think. I don't think any of these you would say Brown's probably the closest. Maybe the Buccaneers, but, yeah, it's uh, it's a good setup for the way that they built this thing because, there are, like I said, there are wide receivers they are going to deal with. The hell. They're going to go up against the Bengals and deal with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Uh, they're, like, that's going to be – not fun. They're gonna go Devonte Adams late in the season. So this is kind of gonna be the challenge all year: is can that defensive line dominate so much to help you survive what's on the back end? I still think ultimately, though, because we hear all the time that rushing coverage has to go together. Eventually, they are gonna need. It's it's not. I don't think only the defensive line is gonna get it done this season. But that's why I say one other way is if they can generate turnovers. Either with that line or in other ways, Shaquille Leonard. That's where, like, I always thought he was key to surviving because the corners are gonna give up plays. We saw that in Houston. I just think when they go up against at a passing game like the Bengals, or once the Jaguars get cooking, it's just that's what happens in this league. Is that 
Even good defenses get beat by good passing games. But can you overcome those mistakes with a with a timely turnover? I can tell you that Ron Milas, the other thing that him and I talked about today was they need more ball production, and that was the like that was the big thing about Juju punching that ball out or chopping that ball out on Sunday was that's he's been preaching ball production, preaching ball production, preaching ball production, and they know they're going to need it. So that's that's a, a point of emphasis for all the reasons you're saying right now. Yeah, and you're not always going to get Lamar Jackson just dropping a ball. So <laughs> that was yes. a nice turnover to get. Uh, well, but. this this Rams game might be an interesting test. Um, now, it might not be because the Rams team that I watched uh, on Monday Night Football, it looked like the defensive line could eat because yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> the Bengals' defensive line was eating, the Ram- was eating Matthew Stafford quite a bit in that game. But – Stafford does get the ball out typically very, very, very fast. And that's one of I think that's one of the things that you're going to start seeing every week. Whereas teams play the Colts, they're going to watch the tape of these. And I will say this. It is hard it is it is not as effective as it used to be against this Colts offense or Colts defensive line in terms of getting the ball out of the pocket quickly because the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence and the Ravens and Lamar Jackson this year are among the fastest teams in getting the ball out of their hands in time to throw, and they had six sacks against those teams. But one of the ways to, to neutralize a pass rush is to get the ball out of your hands quickly. The Rams are going to do that with Matthew Stafford. And I think, I think what we saw in, in the opening week against the Jaguars is like that's, that's one of the ways that an offense can get going against this defense and against this defensive line, even if they're playing well, is – if you can minimize it, the the Jag, I think Trevor Lawrence was sacked twice. You know, if you can minimize it and get the ball out of the hands quickly, then there's some chances for plays. And I think that that, that is going to be a key for this defense going forward. And we get, I think we're going to get a good preview of it. I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but the last time I looked, Stafford is somewhere in like the two point three or two point four range, which is like that's so f- that he's getting the ball out of his hands so fast that it's an indicator of how bad their offensive line is. And but it's it's still remarkably fast. And up until the game against the Bengals, they had given up just one sack. They played an entire game against the Niners, and the Niners, the Nick Bosa San Francisco 49ers, and did not give up a sack. If if you have one of those games where he's getting the ball out that quickly and your rush can't get home, that's bad. Like that's that's the kind of that's the kind of counter that a team can come up with to to the what the Colts pass rush has done so far. I think that's where we're gonna. I'll be interested to see what Sean McVay does to help him out in other ways where I think they're going to have to motion receivers and buy them free releases that way because what the Bengals did to counter all those th- quick throws was they pressed corner they pressed their corners at the line and that bothered some young receivers who were not used to dealing with that. It's a big transition for young receivers from college to the NFL as they get pressed a lot more and you know, I remember like a couple of years ago, this what drove people kind of crazy with this Colts defense uh, under Matt Eberflus is that they would, you know, they didn't have much of a pass rush, but they'd also give free releases. And so you could give up tons of completions that way. And that defense would have to overcome it with turnovers. But the problem is once you faced an elite offense like, a, you know, the Rams, someone like that, or the the Ravens, I remember that, that last time they faced Lamar Jackson, uh, couple years ago like once you face an offense that isn't turning the ball over because they're crisp that's when you're just kind of in a blender this year what's a little different is that they are you know that this defense will press guys that's what Juju Brents is here to do so that's gonna be an interesting combination is if they can marry 
they're not going to have perfect coverage this year, obviously. But can they marry that? Can they press well enough at the line to uh, marry that up with the coverage or, or the the pass rush? And I think you feel decent about that in a couple places. Kenny Moore has those long arms. I think he's playing pretty well in a bounce back year. And then obviously Juju Brents, he's built to do that. That third corner, that other outside corner spot, that's where uh, the deeper that you see a team's receiving core, I think, uh, could give the Colts some trouble there. Uh, and then, and then, yeah, we will see if they can, uh, you know, we will see if they face a real – if one's facing real left tackles, if that, you know, takes away a little bit of some of that edge pressure and gives teams even a tick more to throw – what does that end up doing? Because I do think, like, if they're going to play and if, if the Colts are going to combat this by playing press coverage but also keep a safety in the box like they often do, um, you are risking where if the pass rush doesn't get home, the play does extend, uh, you know, you can give up some big plays. What do you think about the Rams' defense? I think Aaron Donald is very good. Beyond Aaron Donald. Uh, you know, Raheem Morris, I think, is one of the – yeah, Raheem Morris is good. Best defensive coordinator. So it's like he's wor- – the roster's not obviously what it was since they moved off of uh, you know Jalen Ramsey in the offseason. Uh, they're, they're definitely a lot thinner than they – they've always been kind of built around a couple stars, but they no longer have that one at outside corner to marry with Aaron Donald. So um, that's a little bit harder. But he's he's overcome it pretty well. It's hard to read because – that Bengals game was very strange because right. Joe Burrow, right. Burrow can't move. He was he was inaccurate too. Yeah, that was the he, other thing is that Burrow missed some throws that Burrow would normally make. He just wasn't probably, probably got like five or six. And Burrow has hit like one downfield throw this year. It's mm-hmm. just something. Obviously, health is off, but they they just haven't gotten They've, going. They, they they held the Seahawks to thirteen points. I I don't know what that means. I really don't. We're, this is one of those things where we're still early in to know like what what offenses is, what offenses are. Uh, the Forty ers scored thirty, and then. They held the Bengals to 19. But, again, a very, very compromised Joe Burrow in that game. Yeah, I mean, I just – I think this is going to be a Rams defense that's it's putting a ton on Aaron Donald because it's, it's a pretty darn young defense. These are some names that are uh, – I'm not used to seeing uh, with this group here. You know, I'll say, like, like the one other, like, constant that I feel like they definitely have. Akella Witherspoon's a pretty good corner. And then Jordan Fuller does a great job at safety, kind of getting them lined up. So they're going to be very sound. They'll mix up the coverages. That's what Raheem Morris does really well is sort of confusing uh, the, you know, mixing the pre-snap look with the post-snap look. That'll be important if they face a rookie quarterback. So I think they're going to kind of – they're trying to overcome some of their own youth on defense with – their ability to scheme and confuse a rookie quarterback. And then, you know, they're putting a ton on Aaron Donald to, to move all over that line. That'll, that's what will be interesting is because that'll really test how, how improved Bernard Ryman is because they will move him to left tackle to get him one-on-one matchups. And then they're going to move him around. They're, gonna, they're not, they're not going to just have him rush against Quentin Nelson. They're going to move him to the other side and have him rush against Will Fries. Uh, so the offensive line has been certainly better um, but also, uh, what I expect, what ha- you'd have to expect based on last week is the Rams are probably bringing some blitzes, safety blitzes, because of how well it worked for the Ravens. And I'm sure that's it's obviously it's a conversation for the Colts this week trying to fix that. But make them fix it first. And when you're switching from 
one quarterback back to another, one center back to another. I mean, I don't know quite how that's going to go. You'd like to think getting Ryan Kelly back will improve some of that. But, you know, he's also had a week off. And that's something where I think Raheem Morris is going to – they're going to come after Anthony Richardson because they don't – they don't have the guys that they're used to having, the depth of the defense they're used to having. It's it's kind of like let Aaron Donald wreck things, and then when you put so much attention on him, try and surprise him with a blitz elsewhere. It seems like the Rams' defense may be gettable on the ground, just based on looking at mm-hmm. kind of the numbers from some of those games. Uh, the Seahawks, I think, got behind early and didn't run much, but uh, Kenneth Walker had, six, had, more, had, I think, 64 yards on 12 carries. McCaffrey had a big game against them. I thought – watching the Bengals Rams game that there were some good mix and runs uh in, in there. I, I think that the running game is is definitely something. And then I think the other piece is um if Anthony Richardson is back, I don't know that this defense has played against a running quarterback yet. Um Gino, mm-hmm. Brock Purdy, obviously not Joe Burrow, uh the way the way he is right now. They have not played against somebody like that. So I think maybe that's that's maybe a piece to look at is they've mostly kept opposing passing games to short throws. Um, I think Burrow had a lot of yards, but a a ton of them were short. Um, Smith didn't have many yards. Purdy had 206. It was an efficient 206, but just 206. They've they've, they've not really been giving up a lot down the field. But uh, the running game, the run defense might be gettable. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that matchup goes because the run defense is gettable. Joe Mixon had a very nice game against them. Uh, and then also, you know, so on one hand, bringing Anthony Richardson back, I mean, they really need him back for that reason, to bring explosiveness to the run game. Uh, but also because I'm curious to see what state Zach Moss is in after 30 carries last week, getting rolled up on a couple times. He did not look like the same player after the second injury scare that he was before that I think we were looking at it and it was like 13 carries for 27 yards down the stretch um, Colts worked out a couple running backs this week but they don't have depth around him that has shown really anything they had Trey Sermon they gave a few carries against the Ravens it didn't work uh, that's one where like especially if Moss were to get hurt in that game it's just it's hard to know like they're a week off of having the chance to get Jonathan Taylor back so on paper, they should win that matchup. Just Zach Moss with Anthony Richardson uh, playing the RPO read option game should should be very gettable against the Rams. Uh, it's just can they keep those guys healthy and fresh enough because Anthony is coming back from you – know, he's had injury scares in two games, and I know that they're talking a lot about protecting, and, and obviously a lot of that conversation is going to be about kind of finishing the long runs, getting out of bounds, things sort of – at the end of the play, but I wonder if that creeps in at all to the number of attempts they give him. Uh, I I feel like in that first game against the Jaguars, they were giving him more design runs early in the game and then kind of lightened that up toward the end. Uh, so it's it's kind of an evolving conversation of how much you use Anthony in this. And that's where, like, Zach Moss keeping him healthy on the field and hoping that he's over – that he could recover from that 30-carry day where he got rolled up on, that's that's going to be important because, uh, because yeah, I think that's the the one the one clear mismatch that they, in the Colts' favor is the pass rush against the Rams' offensive line. The second one on paper should be Anthony Richardson and Zach Moss against the Rams' defense. I just 
it's it's one of those like it's kind of boomer bust based on just what happens to run games which is uh you know health is always kind of dicey Anthony Richardson coming back obviously ratchets up the excitement level I think even more than the win last week does for most fans um you know they they sort of Michael Michael Pittman saving a fumble um recovering a, a Gardner Minshew fumble and and also Michael Pittman making a play on a ball um that maybe should have come at a different time or a little earlier or something uh ended up being key plays in that game last week and it, it but but ultimately like regardless of what we're talking about with do the Colts contend or not uh, are are they going to you know make make a play for the for the playoffs that maybe we didn't see coming where we started this podcast ultimately the season is still about the development of Anthony Richardson so anytime he's going to be on the field it adds something to the game it'll be very interesting to see what he looks like um he's been on the practice field two days in a row that's generally an indicator that it has gone well for him you don't want to put absolutes on anything but two days in a row of practicing is generally a good sign for some for a player in the concussion protocol um and yeah richardson richardson's just it's just interesting i i would have loved to have seen richardson get a chance at a couple of the deep ball looks that they had last week and missed yeah i mean that feels like from an arm strength perspective and a deep ball perspective um yeah i i would have loved i I would have loved to have seen him get some of those chances i don't know if the rams are going to give it to him because it seems like the rams mo right now is no no big plays but i i would have liked to have seen it last week because there were a couple plays to pierce that if you put the ball on him instead of just kind of launching it into the into the mist that they had a real chance to have something big go yeah that's going to be the interesting thing is that I do expect the Rams to guard heavily against that make this rookie go down the field and beat you that way um you know finish drives and all of that make make this run game survive four quarters with not a lot of bodies to do it but you know some of those plays like uh, that they missed on Sunday with Gardner Minshew were sort of extended plays, broken plays, and that Gardner just doesn't throw in the run, and he doesn't really want to. He just didn't seem interested in really trying those. But Anthony will, or Anthony should, I should say, and then, well, so that'll be interesting. He should, you know, the first couple games when he would drop back and throw, it seemed like he was very intentionally trying to avoid risk in the passing game, and he would, you know, he would take the dump off in moments when the defense was setting him up to take the dump off. So I wonder, you know, if this is a week where they, they try and move that, move the aggressiveness up where they, you know, a teaching point for him is being willing to take those calculated shots, third and 10, extend, use your mobility, and then use your arm strength, go down the field. Uh, You know, Reggie Wayne's talking today how they need to get more targets to Alec Pierce. That's the guy in the passing game who's going to run much deeper average depth of target than, guys like Josh Downs and Michael Pittman Jr. are right now. So uh, that's going to be the matchup I think they will try to get going. The Rams are going to be built to not allow it on most plays. And then can Anthony escape, extend the play? Can they build enough of that chemistry with him coming back after missing a week of practice to win on some of these scramble plays? Uh, you know that, that could end up being the test here. And then obviously can you <laughs> – a big part of – 
extending plays and getting to that level is surviving Aaron Donald. And so that's going to be like whatever they want to get to, uh, it's not going to matter if they can't block uh, the best player on the field. So that's it's kind of a constant conversation they're going to have. Um, that's And that's what's going to be interesting for, for Zach Moss is he's going to He's going to have a busy day because not only will he run the ball, is he the only running back they trust, but pass pro is incredibly important for a game like this, protecting Anthony, giving him a chance to throw, and keeping an extra guy in there for Aaron Donald. One big thing that helps the uh, pass protection this week is that it's Anthony Richardson's feet and not Gardner Minshew's feet. It does. Enormous upgrade in terms of elusive elusiveness, escapability. And ability to throw on the run. Um and and just just to sort of highlight that, like the Colts had their own strong safety blitz that came completely free last week, and Lamar Jackson kind of magicked his way out of it, whereas mm-hmm. Gardner Minshew did not magic his way out of Kyle Hamilton. So so that's that's another big thing is Anthony Rich having Anthony Richardson and his escapability. We've seen it already. Um, that's going to do it for the Colts Cover Two podcast for this week. Um, Colts are two and one. They've got the Rams. They've got the one and two Rams coming to Lucas Oil Stadium. We know we didn't talk about is the revenge game for the AFC Special Teams Player of the Week. Matt Gay going up against the Rams. Matt Gay? We won a Super Bowl with. I, I think Matt Gay. I, the hard part, though, is I think Matt Gay doesn't feel a need for revenge. That's <laughs> I don't think he needs a revenge against a team he won a Super Bowl well, with. Well, like, like the, 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 the revenge game moniker, the, the, like, it, you know, just – Nate doesn't like that I make him do villain on uh, on the post game. Like, I think Matt Gay is kind of happy with how that turned out. He got a ring, he established himself as a kicker, and he got to come back to the place he already lived and got paid. And got paid. So, like, I, I don't think he harbors a whole lot of ill will. Plus, uh, there was a story out that when he did sign with the Colts, that Sean McVay called him personally and you know thanked him for his time and was really happy for him that he got the contract. So, revenge game. What's a, a what's a, what's the friendly version of revenge? I, I, what's I know, uh, what's the right word for reunion? That? Uh, yeah, I, I can't come up with it. But it, it, revenge game doesn't work as well. It'd be better if they like cut him, or it was animo- or there's some animosity or something. I know. I was mostly just find a way to. Throw they got Matt, to send I him was home. Find a way to throw Matt Gay in there. He was their best offensive weapon last week. Oh, I've written about him, him three times since then, so. yeah. <laughs> including in depth on IndyStar.com yeah. right now about his his life as a as a up and coming soccer player and his decision to switch uh, to football after two years at utah valley um which again you like there's this one of those things i'll just use this as an addendum like utah valley probably doesn't sound like a big soccer program but they have kyle beckerman as their head coach now uh like that's a big name if you don't know who kyle beckerman is i don't care that you don't watch soccer go look it up i'm right it's a big name uh anyway so uh yes matt gay Matt Gay is at the point now where like we're going to talk about him almost less, maybe. Yeah, no, no, we hadn't been talking about him at all. So, but but he's like he he's sort of in that automatic category of of kicker, especially moving indoors. That's it's even better. Yeah, that's where I just I wonder. At some point, that's going to no play revenge. Too. I think I think he harbors good feelings for the Rams. Oh yeah, I was joking about that, but I do think it will. We're talking about is this the week that they get aggressive? I mean. That has to play into some of their aggressiveness is knowing that they can score from the 35-yard line. It's so different than a couple years ago when it was like, do they play Michael Bashley or do they do they play? go for it on do they go for it on fourth and six at the or fourth and yeah do they go for it on fourth and eight at the 
the 37 yard line because they're they're pretty comfortable that the kicker is yeah. not going to make a 55 yarder. When they'd be in third and eight, it was two down territory because they're not going to kick a field goal. Mm-hmm. Um, it also depends on how how much you know if they can keep this a defensive lower scoring game like last week, then it's easier to think that way. So that's where like it all kind of the big deciding factor to me this week is still going to be the cornerbacks. Can they can they hang in coverage? Because if they can't, I think. I trust Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford to find a way to pick them apart. If they can, then uh, this lets Shane Steichen manage this in a much safer way with a rookie quarterback coming back after an injury. Yep. No, I mean, no, zero, zero Matt Gay issues for me or anyone in Indianapolis this week. And that is nice to say. Yeah. Very, very, very different than where we have been with the Colts kicking situation. For the Colts Cover 2 podcast, I'm Joel A. Erickson. I've been joined by Nate Atkins. We've got plenty of stuff up. Like I said, go check out my Matt Gay story. Some really interesting stuff. I think my favorite piece was that like when he decided to be, he was going to try out for kicking at Utah, he just went to a store, bought some footballs and some sticks, and then watched some YouTube videos <laughs> um, of NFL kickers. His exact quote, oh. I don't think the quote is in there. I think I, I paraphrased it to, to shorten it a little bit. But he said, he said, pretty much everyone was just doing three steps back and two steps over. I figured that was what I was supposed to do. So he's like that guy who watches be nice. football and says, I could do that. And, but he was actually right. Well, he also had, I mean, he also was playing soccer. So it's not like he like had never kicked it. It's not like he was me. I'm terrible at kicking things. He was good at kicking things. I'm just glad that there was one person out there watching football who says, I could do that. It was actually right about saying that. Because he had not kicked even how it in high school. He had kicked in high school but gotten horribly injured. Um, and he'd only kicked one year because he had a coach. He had a football coach at his high school who was uh, – upset about gay playing like club soccer and stuff like that mm. so he wouldn't let him play on the football team if he didn't practice which i'm i'm just gonna say this flat out that's just terrible roster management yep if you're a high school uh, team and you couldn't find a use for matt gay uh you didn't it, do it very well he, the, the kicker doesn't have to be there to practice just no. bring him in and let him kick like, that makes no sense to me i program building out the window like he's he's a two like let use the two sport athlete i agree so we did in high school. If they had a, if they had like a, 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 you know, the the best sprinter in the state or something, and they were like, ah, you do track in the spring, we can't have you now. That's insane. That's just crazy. Like, th- this is a, a huge leg on your, on your. I'm I'm killing some guy. I don't even know his name, but I'm killing some guy right now. But that's that's just poor roster management. It absolutely. Is. You let the kicker come in on Friday and kick. That's that makes all the sense in the world to me. That's exactly what my high school did. We had a playoff team. We needed a kicker. The star soccer player said, hey, I'm willing to do both. We said, sure. And he did. And he had a bunch of 50-yard field goals, and we were good. Did he practice? No. Yeah. Who, why, who cares? <laughs> but why what were we going to do? Practice? Say, no, you can't kick for us, so we'll just have no kicker? No. That's, that's, apparently, that's what Matt Gay's high school coach well, thought. Hmm. Just terrible roster management in high school. That terrible. guy can email Joel Erickson if he's mad. <laughs> <laughs> terrible roster management. <laughs> We'll leave him nameless because it's it's well, number one, I don't know. I, I know. I didn't look up his name. And number two, uh, number two, like, he probably doesn't deserve to be hammered this much. But like <laughs> as, as somebody who's, whose dad has been a, a high school coach for a while, like you just take the kicker. Yeah. Anyway, that's our this is our this is our third chance to try to land the plane. But yes, if, if you are a high school football coach and you have a a. Uh, soccer player in the Olympic development program who's willing to kick for your team. Don't make any, but he doesn't want to practice. Don't, don't.
Don't keep him off the team. <laughs> Just play him. I didn't think that's where we'd end this podcast, but here it's a we good are. place to do it. It's it good advice. Like it is. If, if uh, unless you have another guy who could kick the ball from fifty-five <laughs> yards, if you do, wow. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Matt Gay. We don't need you. We have another future <laughs> Pro you, Bowl, uh, Super Bowl school, winner. Are you the high school right next to Cole's kicking camp? That's the only. <laughs> the only way I see that being a possibility. Anyway, for all high school coaches out there, this is what I'll end it with. For all high school coaches out there, if you have a guy. Again, who's in the Olympic Development Kick Program <laughs> as a striker, as a central forward, uh, and is great on set pieces. That was his profile. He was incredible on set pieces, and he wants to kick for you. Just let him kick. Whatever he wants to do. That's all you have to do. All I'm saying is Matt Gay needs to lead his Hall of Fame speech with that guy. who will be like Michael Jordan's high school coach who didn't start him. <laughs> um, that's it for the Colts Cover 2 podcast. A little, little bit of coaching advice. Just take the best player.